Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we're speaking with Paul Wilson from Monster Kitchen at Overlo Nishi in Canberra about his time learning about vegetables at Geranium Restaurant in Copenhagen and about the Overlo Hotel's Year of the Veg. Welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name's Steph Postuma, your host, alongside my co-host, Mr. Simon Evans Hiya. of Night Parrot and Kavo Glory in the favourite steel city of Wollongong. And we sit here in the dining room of Monster Restaurant Overlo Nishi in Canberra with Executive Chef Paul Wilson. G'day, Paul. How you going, guys? Good, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we start our podcast with an acknowledgement of country and travelling with this podcast is great getting to explore some of the different regions of um, New South Wales and the ACT. So we'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land where we gather here today and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right, guys, let's kick it off. Um, Paul, for people that don't know much about your background as a chef, let's do it because I think that... Um, it's interesting and it's important to get out of the way before we start talking about the year of the veg and what Overlo is doing through all their venues um, here in Australia and in Asia too, I believe. Yeah, Hong Kong and then just opening one up in Bali yeah. as we speak. Cool. Um, so, yeah, like start off with a bit of background, like where you first sort of started cooking and your sort of eventual journey over to um, to Denmark and to Geranium. Yep, yep. So first cooking job was uh, KFC actually. When nice. I was 13 years old, so that's one of the famous restaurants in the world. That's on my little uh, spiel. It's one of the waiters. biggest restaurants in the world. Exactly. Damn. Yeah. So, um, and then did my training, culinary training at Marriott Hotel in yeah. uh, North Ride. So I spent three years there and then realized after that I knew nothing about cooking. It was good mm-hmm. foundations, but then I realized there was much more to cooking. Um, so then I went to work at a one hat restaurant in uh, Sydney City. It was uh, Adlib Bistro. Owned by Dietmar Sawyer, um, and then moved on to his sister restaurant, Brow Waters Inn, which is a three hat restaurant. Um, spent two years there, and then, yeah, when the 2007 uh, financial crisis for industry went down, it was um, he went bankrupt, unfortunately, and then he had to move to Hayman Island. That's where I sort of got into my, my uh, private island um, stint. Spent uh, Hayman Island for a little bit, went to Lizard Island for a little bit. Then eventually went to Fiji, 
which was a uh, 85 self self-sufficient island so we had three hydroponic tents two outside farms we had wagyu cattle limousine beef two chickens ducks quails everything you can imagine um, at our doorstep so we we're pretty much growing everything that came on to the menus except for the staples say carrots potatoes onions just because we were going through so much um, so yeah basing so we had five restaurants there i did a 10 course tasting menu daily changing so the guests couldn't eat the same meal twice we had a thai restaurant some casual beach clubs and stuff like that um so that's when like i really got to learn like my style of cooking because the exec chef gave me free reign to do whatever i wanted um at that time and then took a holiday to denmark um and europe and ate a lot of restaurants over there fell in love with geranium after the meal i had there still to this day the best meal of my tell life tell us about that meal the, uh, walking in like i did a lot of research about the place like did a lot of online checking out the stuff and the stuff he was doing with food it didn't look like food some mm. of the things so what was the chef's just, name uh rasmus kofod mm-hmm. um so he does the bocus door competition so it's like the cooking olympics of the world so he's won bronze silver and gold the only chef to ever win all three and they've made a rule now that when you win a medal you can't compete again so mm-hmm. he'll go down as history as the godfather of this sort of cooking competition so it's like two years of intense intense training um it's quite it's quite a traditional competition as well like yeah. it's, it's very french it's very um sort of theatrical in, in plating um like it's, it's obviously very um you know, some amazing chefs have done it but it is still quite old school and it, it does not resemble nordic cooking no um it's yeah. like like you would think yeah everything's like picture perfect you're talking millimeters is mm. is between good and bad so um going to geranium and seeing that kind of level of service like that meal where the chef served everything did a lot of stuff table side first time eating like that um and then during the night i just all i saw with rasmus he was just picking pine shoots i was just like just it just i don't know it was just such such a strange thing to see the head chef not even do service he had so much trust in his staff that they could do everything without him and he was just picking pine shoots to pickle for the next day wow um and so what what sort of things did you see on that first menu that meal that you experienced like what for people who don't know about geranium it's a three michelin star restaurant in denmark you got number five in the world number best. five at the moment yeah, yeah at the moment yeah moment, so yeah. um you know what's the what's the style what's the food it's just so you go in you have like you sit in the the lounge if there's space to sit in the lounge to have a few snacks um and then a big piece of wood comes out with this like another piece of wood wrapped around it and that bit was edible artichoke so mm-hmm. it's like an artichoke twill um it's had many different faces now and now it's in this beautiful um lattice like twill like a like a leaf um but yeah at the time it was just like bend the twill deep fry it and then wrap it around the stick and then pull it out and then feed it back through for service and that's to serve with like a roasted grain um mayonnaise so it's a roasted grain vinegar infused and then made a mayonnaise out of that um and you get like a little carrot sphere inside you got liquid fermented carrot juice and then when you sit down for the meal the first dish was a edible razor clam so the technique for this one takes around two weeks it took him four years to figure out how to make the edible razor clam with like shell. the shell as well yeah just That's to awesome. make the pattern on it to mm. get it super thin to be able to make it like consistent every time so they had like a razor clam sitting out of a bowl 
and then it looked like seaweed. It just looked like a garnish that wasn't meant to be eaten. Found out afterwards it wasn't meant to be eaten. It was a parsnip, parsnip twill, <laughs> shaped to look like seaweed. And I sent it back to the kitchen. I didn't even know it was edible. Um, so that happened a lot while I was at Journey, and people would open the razor clam shell lick out the t- razor clam tartar and put the shell back together and send it back to the kitchen. <laughs> and then it'd come back and I mean, you'd be like, no, no, no. no that for shows how realistic it looked then. Yeah, but that's where like, like, the direction you want. It's like, yeah, exactly. oh, this looks so good that they're going to send it back and I have to send it back to them again. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> when we see that, we're like, no, 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 replay it go and explain to them properly that the whole thing is edible because we had people coming from around the world and so there's a, some big language barriers. Um in what's sort of edible so you need to sort of use a bit of sign language to make sure like you can eat everything or eat this don't eat that because we served a lot of things on show pieces like um we had a s- scallop stones dipped in dill gel and they were served on stones so it kind of camouflaged because the gel was quite dark so some people might eat the actual rocks some people <laughs> might leave the stones so a lot of it was um yeah, it was it was just super interesting having to like yeah do stuff at the table by yourself or sourcing at the table. The dish looks beautiful, and then once they add the sauce, it completely changes the dish. Um, things like that, and just flavor combinations I've never even thought of using before. So yeah, I walked out of that out of that meal like best meal of my life. Walked home, I was like, I'm gonna come work here one day. Went back to Fiji, did six months more there. Um, and then yeah, time was up. Normally two years at a job, I sort of feel as I've learned everything um, that I can. Um, and then I'll just, if I can progress to another level or just move on to something something fresh. So time came up in Fiji and I just messaged um, messaged Dronium, just said, oh, can I do an internship? Um, they said yes, booked in the time, got my visa sorted, one way ticket to Dronium, started working there, spent a month and a half as a stage. Um, after the first two weeks, head chef pulled me aside and figured out that I wanted a job in Denmark. Um, so he's like, we want to hire you straight away, but there's no positions available because our team is quite full. As soon as a spot opens up, you'll be the first one to call. So um, I was meant to go stage at another restaurant, but because I was going out with the guys um, in the restaurant and going out partying and stuff, my bank account started to go a little bit low <laughs> so um, I cancelled my second stage and then started working at a one hat French restaurant um, which was a friend of Geranium learned a lot of cool techniques there like on Vessi cooking chicken in a yeah, awesome. bladder and stuff like that and yeah. salt baking fish and doing heaps of table side stuff like we had a sorbet trolley with six sorbets and in the summer I had to go out there and scoop um, a la minute, offer them the flavours mm-hmm. and then um it was a 30s, I remember it was 36 degree heat downstairs in the basement and I had a table of six and they ordered six flavours of sorbet and then the ice cream was melting because I was there for like 10 minutes so I just asked the waitress I'm like go get me a can of nitrogen so they've got this big coffee cup of nitrogen and I just sat there and poured it on top of all the ice creams <laughs> on top of all the plates the whole restaurant just filled up with smoke and I was just like they thought it was funny and I was just trying to scoop these <laughs> bloody ice cream things um <laughs> So that was that was a good good experience, um, and then yeah. So when Dranim um, called me, I went to go work there as a chef to party, and then probably three or four months after, the head chef sous chef were a couple. They left together, so sort of everyone started getting promoted um, up the ranks, and then yeah, chef saw sort of my ambitions and the way I worked and everything like that. So he offered me the sous chef role. Um, yeah, after only being there for I think four and a half months. 
Uh, and then, yeah, sous chef, there was two sous chefs, so I'd look after the first half of the menu, uh, the first 10 courses, um, and then the other, the other sous chef would look after the rest. The assistant head chef would look after pastry, so we'd all help each other, but, like, we were in charge of those sections kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, Rasmus being the famous chef he is, he was out and about doing consultants and stuff like that, so we'd be running the kitchen. But he's probably the one chef that he would want to make every single service like he he wanted to plate every single service he'd miss the maybe the first half the snacks as soon as they got into the main course he's on the pass plating yeah um, right making sure everything's there so it was good to see him when he's in the kitchen everyone's just super focused like mm. it's just not that we weren't beforehand but it was it's um, an extra little level you go to yeah yeah it's just <laughs> like, some small quiet yeah but he's 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 very fun like he, he's not he's not an angry chef at all he's he's so focused like when he does the Focus door training. I remember him trying to put these little flowers inside this beetroot glass sphere, and then a stagiaire was walking past him with a tray of something, and he was watching Rasmus do something. He tripped over, dropped the whole tray. Rasmus didn't even flinch. He was just still focusing on putting these little flowers. Like he was only goes in the zone. He's just like in the zone. Yeah, wow. Kind of thing. So, so you know, that's when you can drop stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. just... Wait, wait for him to be doing that. Can't, you can't yeah. run in the kitchen, but you can walk very fast. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, that was one thing he kept saying to everyone. Um, how many how many seats was Geranium? Geranium was 30... F- it, was, it was up to 45 when I got there, and then they dropped it back a little bit to 35. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a private dining room. Um, at one stage, we were doing 80 in the private dining room for functions, and then still 35 in the restaurant. And that was chaotic because when the function you needed to like source things at the table mm. you needed to grab half the chefs from the main kitchen yeah well. and then run to the function room so i was in charge of the function room and r&d for a little bit while i was two um and then yeah just running in i'm like can i get six hands to source this dish and then mm. everyone's like no i'm busy i'm like no i need six hands like right now i need to source the function and then you can have everyone everyone can go back um but yeah some of the service things he wants like one chef to source one plate we all have to synchronize our spoons so you yeah, can't right. hear anyone out of sync like that level of service like i've never seen it in australia you and don't you don't and same with some of that theatrical stuff um and a lot of stuff serving the table it's a yeah. little fest cooking like that's i mean something i've never seen in australia uh, i've seen a couple plates in the uk yeah um sort of cooked chicken like that but it's something you don't, yeah you don't quite see here um you've seen a bit more chefs going to the table more but yeah. that level of um of, of attentiveness and that extra level of like trolleys and this that you only see it in very few restaurants where it's much more prevalent in europe yeah Mm. just because the, ex- the execution needs to be on point like everyone can do the trolley but if you mm. haven't got everything lined up everything's super clean like it falls flat if you mm. go to the table and it just doesn't doesn't well work. that synchronizing so of the spoons hitting bowls and pouring and stuff is next level when yeah, you get like yeah. eight people doing it at once like the guests are like yeah what is going like, on like sweep like, the table where you're kind of like lay down the plate at the same time yeah. like, like things yeah. like that like look pretty look pretty yeah, awesome yeah just a look on their faces guess. and yeah. just like yep Maybe it's just that staff costs are so high in Australia, we just can't afford to do it here. Well, how many, <laughs> chefs, how many chefs were at Geranium? So we had 13 paid chef to parties, two sous, an assistant head chef, and then we got up to one stage with 13 stagiaires. Right. So it was like Europe, when... Europe's little secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so stagiaires are great. Like, you get, you get some good ones, you get some doozies, but, like, most of the time, like, they're there to help you out. So when I was, like, even when I was on the chef to party, it was just... Tell the stages if you push on prep and you get your prep done, 
you get to do the fun part, which is service. Mm. We'll pull you into service with us. If you don't finish your prep and you go a little bit slow, you're not going to see any service. Everyone wants to do service because we had five different kitchens. We'd have back prep for all the dirty kit- for all the dirty stuff, say the soil, the blood, the fish, and everything like that. Then you'd have the old service kitchen was where we'd set up for service that everything that crossed through that door had to be perfect already. You wouldn't have, you're not prepping in that kitchen. You're just like picking things down. Um, Then we'd have a pastry kitchen, the test kitchen, and then the service kitchen. So service kitchen was behind like glass doors, but everything was cleaned five times a day. We'd bring every guest around the whole kitchen, give them a tour of the kitchen, show them our dry aging room our fermenting room, the pastry room. So like we were on the top of a football stadium. So in around all the walkways, you could see into the football stadium. <laughs> um, and then that of concerts, like Beyonce played there, Ramstein played there. Like it was when that Ramstein was on, it was just like the bass was just <laughs> going through the kitchen like crazy. All the guests were like, what is that noise? And just the windows were shaking and stuff like that. <laughs> oh like, my God. Yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. It's like, a bit different for a, for a setting like geranium. Yeah, yeah, it's, Ramstein. yeah, so the story behind that, like he was, he had a geranium first got built in like a little park in the middle of Copenhagen city. And he was there for a year and a half, had one star, won the first Bokus there. Then he got, um, had problems with the investors at that place. So he was looking for a new spot. Someone came to him with this eight, eight story off a, it's a, like a, yeah, it's a football setting, but it has a lot of offices on mm. the lower levels. And he walked in there and it's just like hot dog chips and fine dining food. Like it's not going to work. Mm. Walked away, came back two weeks later and it's just like, no one's done it before. Like if anyone can do it, sort of he could do mm. it with the investor that he had, um, La Saya, so he's, he now owns Alchemist, the new Alchemist. Um, he's the investor for that, and he's mm. got Geranium as well. He's got a few other few other restaurants, but he's, um, yeah, he's sort of the, the backing behind Geranium, so mm. that's one thing. One thing I don't miss about Geranium was seeing the food costs. Like, yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. is, there is no food cost, and the wastage, unfortunately. So now we we have a sister restaurant, sort of. They have a sister restaurant, but it was just like, yeah, just to seeing what what it takes to get to that level. Yeah, like, the, the, that level is in kind of inherently wasteful. Yeah. Um, just because everything has to be perfect, and that means discarding the non-perfect stuff, yeah. and straight away that becomes, yeah, you know, wasteful in nature. Um, even you know, like lining up little fillets of beef by taking the ends off so they're neat, like. Because ends ends perfectly fine. Yeah, you, know, you can eat them. But I don't know how many times I made lemon thyme ice cream for staff just because we'd cut the top four flower leaves off and then the yeah, rest right. would go in the bin. So I was just yeah, like, what yeah. can staff can't eat red sorrel like the <laughs> ends of the red sorrel? So what are we going to do? Oh, let's make a panna cotta or something yeah, yeah. out of it. Just do staff food as much as you can for staff food. Mm. Um, just do that. So. Mm. So tell us about the sort of relationship with vegetables at geranium. Obviously, like you were, you were telling us before about you had greenhouses in the kitchen. You know, there were far, like, like far, the farms that you worked with, that reverence for vegetables that sort of made you, yeah, sort of develop, develop your understanding of vegetables and how to cook them. Yeah, so <clears throat> just seeing that sort, of, that sort of care in vegetables, like... Even the farmers come in with like everything lined up perfectly, still with dirt on it. Like they don't clean it for us because they want to show you how like it was pulled up literally this morning. Um, all the wild 
all the wild plants. So we had, I think we had four, four farmers that just worked for us. Um, so one guy would just get all the wild seeds and plant it out the back of his house. So he'd have the wild plants, but still be able to manage it himself, not have to go out and find all mm. these wild plants. Um, we had a mushroom forager who also did a few other restaurants, but whenever she'd find something, she'd message one of the sous chefs and be like, I found this, do you want it? And just be like, yeah, we have morels in that day. So it was just when the mushroom season's on, it's just it's crazy. You're just getting it to process it, yeah. so either drying it, pickling it, um, things like that. And then we had a big farm. So like we'd plan our menus for say three months and we'd tell him what we want planted in that season and then if it was changing season we'd get the first whatever starts shooting up first we'd get it into the kitchen we'd start start doing our tests with it figure out what dish it's going to go on if it's going to be a new dish if it's going to be a reiteration of an old dish um so a lot of the say the sauces were kept the same because they were just super tasty and we just alternate between the vegetables of the season um and yeah like rasmus is now fully plant-based diet and he's got a plant-based sister restaurant inside geranium during covid um so his his mentality with vegetables were make them the star and the protein sort of the side as much as what we did process the proteins into very beautiful pieces of meat um but a lot more care got taken into the wild plants Mm. and and the fresh sort of vegetables Mm, what does you, you mentioned testing when you're getting ingredients in and things like that what like, what does testing look like? Because, I mean, you know, Simon, you run a had a restaurant and stuff. Like, how often did you have stuff? Did you have stuff that that often that would come in? Like, okay, let's do like a lot of testing. I, I assume at geranium, it's like a very meticulous process, right? Yeah, yeah. So there was, a, I remember there was a rhubarb was coming into season, and we wanted to see what we could do with rhubarb. So between the three, the three chefs, it was um, three senior chefs. It's like what. what techniques do we know how to process rhubarb and we needed to do it in 0.5 percent 1% 1.5% 2% 2.5% every recipe needed to be gradients of that and then all need to be separated and then we'd have them all into little boxes Rasmus would come in taste everything and just sort of put it together and create the dish so some things took like the razor clam dish took four years to figure out how to do it perfectly um and then there was another dish I was setting up for a function and it was uh, the salmon dish that's on the trout dish that's on the menu now we made that dish in 10 minutes he just told me to grab this ingredient this ingredient let's blend this make this sauce make that and we did it in 10 minutes and still on the menu now it's had a facelift but like we got the flavors down in 10 minutes but it looked like it looked like crap it wasn't geranium standard it was like it looked like a moose looked like dog poo um <laughs> but then yeah just as soon as we got the flavors down we're like all right how can we how can we figure this better so we go buy molds we go make a trout cotton so it takes two months to dry trout out to make blend it up to make it look like fairy floss and then i was make the sauce which was done on the first day and then now it has like this seaweed twill over the top of the moose looks like a piece of art and then this has added so that dish is now a three-part dish. There's like a tart with a trout cotton, and then there's a cured like gravlax with um, juniper, and then there's the trout mousse with the grilled kohlrabi and sheep's butter sauce with the lattice now. So originally it was just the mousse and the sauce. That mm. was the first. Kind of like the different tests you do is sometimes 
as long as you can throw a dish together with with preparations, techniques, ingredients, you already know, and you, it might be a new interpretation of them. Um, and then some things you like. I want to treat this different, or I want to. You might even like be reverse engineering it. Like I want this to look like that. How can I do that? Um, like a lot of time, it's just you know, it's a bit of trial and error. Like the amount of time I spent trying to get crocodile into a into a place that I wanted it, and just 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 trying everything I knew, and then trying to read and being like thinking outside the box. And mm. then that was something that took took a couple months of, of trial and error and refining to to get into a into a, a place I thought it was it was actually tasty mm. and not just like fucking someone slapped a bit of crocodile on a grill mm. which basically tastes like almost any other way you cook it like quick slow fucking sous vide oven always just tastes the same mm. it's weird meat does do, is there like is that level of testing is that something that you like as a chef i loved at the time because it's yeah. something i've never done before right my testing was just like watch a video online and then just go in the kitchen and just figure it out do, mm. do a couple of trials it worked out okay it worked out okay but there it needed to be like perfect like before I hit the menu it needed to be like yeah yeah perfect kind of thing um yeah and then it goes through the process of getting signed off as a dish to hit the menu and then it goes on pretty the much so it was yeah it was figure out the components figure out like he'd sort of give us a flavor profile like um I saw the sous chef before me she got told to make a roasted grain and pear dessert so she was on there for like two weeks i think just like burning grains roasting grains pulsing grains try to make a the best infusion that she could to then make it into a mousse and then figure out what we can do with pears and then ended up being poached pears dehydrate them rehydrate them back into pear juice Mm. so they kind of turn like toffee um so that was like the main components and then there was yeah caramel add caramel to it add Mm. chamomile to it and then it was just like add these little touches to sort of elevate it into something that would be served at geranium so mm. everyone would it's got to be like um, we sort of found over the years of Kavao is that you get to a point where it becomes harder and harder to introduce a new dish yeah when we were first starting it was very much just throw heaps of shit and then you grab some stuff you like and that worked and that worked and after a while once you like when she's trying to replace a dish and you got to a point where you really like a dish it just becomes more and more difficult and imagine at that level at you know three star level yeah when lots on the line to to put a new dish on the menu to replace another dish, it, it you know has to be that perfect. Yeah. So mm. Geranium's menu was a lot of signature dishes. So there was probably out of the eighteen dishes, there was probably I'd say ten to twelve signatures that mm. just wouldn't change. Um, there was a comment from a few guests saying, "Oh, the menu never changes." And then the signature dishes, we just either put them on a new plate or just like the stones was. The scallop stones change between the season, between scallop, mackerel, and trout. And then the dill flavor got changed to beetroot, and then it didn't have a granita with it. It just had a horseradish loose cream. Um, so, yeah, he was just, he'd come in one day and be like, we're doing beetroot stones, make a, make a recipe, Paul. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, just beetroot juice. It was gelatin, salt, figure that out, dip it the same, triple dip it so it's nice and dark, and then... Um, things like that. It's like, oh, the cucumber j- granita doesn't go with it. Let's just make a looser horseradish cream. Figure out what garnish we're going to put on it, and then it was just covered in these pink and pink and white Elysium flowers, um, which looked amazing. I still prefer the dill stones, but it was just like a comment saying mm. um, doesn't really change. So he didn't want to take them off because they were such a signature. You just like reinvent them. Mm. Yeah, in a way. And that that level as well. Like you, people are going to have those dishes they've seen. 
Yeah. So I mean, the amount of people who would dine there multiple times a year, it's like you yeah. guys can eat the fucking same thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you put geranium twice in a year or you know, twice in two yeah, years, I, I then you can just same, fucking put up with error. I saw the same guest maybe come in ten times in one year. I'm like, how wow. can you? Yeah. One, how can you afford? Like, obviously, <laughs> people have money, but I was like, how can you not be like, oh, the menu? It's the same. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not like that we don't change it that much. Yeah. We change it three, four times maximum, but it's mm. only. It's only mainly the main, the last four or five savory options. They're the ones that change, yeah, obviously, okay. between, between the proteins and sort of the, the more vegetable dishes. All the snacks are pretty signatures. Um, but yeah, after I've left, he's done a lot of revamping all the snacks. So yeah. it's the same sort of play, flavor profiles. It's just a lot more table side stuff. So just because he's pushing to get number one, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. Mm. 50 best. So. What um we'll start sort of transitioning into the year of the veg here yep. at Overlow and um and that sort of thing, but like there seems to be this odd contradiction in a way in that um and he's probably the best person to ask about it. Rasmus is probably the best person to ask about it, but to revere vegetables and be plant based and pescatarian and stuff, a lot of the time that those decisions are based on sustainability. Yep. Yet at a restaurant you mess, me, mentioned the wastage like was that kind of squared away in, in in a way that putting these vegetables on a pedestal gives them the opportunity you know to be revered and utilized elsewhere like where does the and and he's the person to ask so it sucks having to ask you this but did you did you think about that like you know we're we're showcasing vegetables at this level and sustainability comes into the picture yet we're wasting a lot yeah so that's that's sort of what I'm trying to do here at Monster Kitchen Bar. Yeah. So still, like, yeah, seeing all the waste that happens at Geranium, obviously you can't really help it. You try to do your best to make sure the orders are on point so you're not, like, wasting things that could have been used elsewhere. Um, but, yeah, here at Monster Kitchen Bar, I'm trying to use byproducts of recipes to use other things. So a lot of the stuff is reinventing, so make tomato water or the dried pulp dehydrate it smoke it and then make an oil out of it to go into another dish or the mushrooms get the juice in the oven and then turn the pulp into cheeseburgers or turn that into the karyagi that's on the menu so a lot of the a lot of the process of the vegetables are getting reused as much as possible mm. um, on our current menu and there'll be room to grow even further so mm. trying yeah trying our best to limit the amount of stuff that goes in landfill mm. um, and we do have actually a, a called an orca machine out the back so it decomposes all our green waste um, except for avocado seeds and pineapple pineapple tops because it's too fibrous but yeah it pretty much just breaks it's got hazelnut shells inside breaks it all down into water for our own garden um, so yeah trying to Limit, cool. limit the footprint yeah. that we're mm. leaving. All right, um, let's um, we'll, we'll we'll get onto more about it specifically what you're doing with the sustainability on the menu here. But let's talk about the the year of the veg more broadly. Um, when can you tell us about this sort of first conversation you had with the the people from Overlo and their idea for like for those who don't know? Maybe you should just give us an idea of what they're doing with this the year of the veg because it's a pretty bold and revolutionary concept across a whole chain of um, hotels and restaurants. Yeah, of course, of course. So yeah, Overlo Overlo Hotel decided. Um, not sure if it was like the concept year of the veg when it was decided, but um, when I took the job, it was just as a plant based plant based kitchen. Um, and then coming down here, then I got informed that, yeah, it's going to be 365 days 
of veg across the whole hotel brand. Um, first hotel to do it in the world. Um, and yeah, we pretty much went live on the 29th of last month. Yeah. Um, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yeah. yeah. So did a little soft launch, but yeah, pretty much it was a, a few restaurants were already vegetarian by then. Um, but there was, yeah, there was three, three or four that weren't vegetarian. So we all just swapped it all out. Um, so the idea um, behind that came from obviously the owner um, based in Hong Kong. So he just wants to limit the footprint that everyone's making on the world um being environmentally conscious sustainability um healthy eating trying to like yeah change the ways of people and mm. just yeah promote the vegetables in the way that they can be in a way so everyone's got their own little agendas um all the different exec chefs um around australia doing putting their own little spin on it but um yeah we come together once a month to sort of figure out what everyone's doing where we're going to go like we did a um, a launch in sydney i think a month ago just to bring some uh bring some influences in and stuff like that and do the first meet up with the three executive chefs um and do a menu up there which was kind of cool and so that first conversation was that like when you first got recruited did you know that you'd be cooking just vegetables yeah yeah okay yeah so i applied for the job mainly based on on cooking vegetables and being plant-based like yeah like i said to you guys before i know i can cook meat and fish i just know that vegetables is something i was always trying to promote at my last at my previous job um there was always veggie dishes doing really like at the end when the guests would leave off the island they would be like what's your favorite dish and they'd be like the beetroot or the carrot or the celeriac Mm. they'd forget about all the fish that was caught out the front of the island they'd that would be like their star moment um off the menu so just knowing that i can cook vegetables in that kind of way and having a challenge like monster kitchen where the reputation that that had before and try to bring it back into canberra um and yeah just to test myself as well Mm. that was one of the reasons why i like a challenge so being restricted not restricted i wouldn't say it's a bad word but (laughs) um being yeah you got you almost got to do a bit convincing with people yeah, like meat, meat kind of speaks for itself, and people will order the steak, the beef, the lamb. Yeah. Um, nothing to hide behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really isn't. Um, and you kind of almost got less leeway. Like if you, if you overcook a carrot, people are really gonna notice if that's like one of the only things on the plate. That's it. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and vegetables can be super interesting if we start cooking them like meat. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's that's what I've always found is is things like brining, smoking, even like dry curing. Um, these are all awesome techniques that work work with vegetables really well um, and make them inherently more interesting rather than just like how my mum would do it. Just yeah. fucking boil I everything. I think also there's like you can apply techniques to vegetables that people are unfamiliar with and that is very exciting to diners. Like mm. I have a lot of friends that are plant-based or vego or, you know, pescatarian, whatever. And you go to a, a restaurant you know, and you inform, like a good restaurant, inform them in advance that you've got ex ex vegans and ex vegos coming, and they and they and they've got something organised. And when that 
is really well considered and really well executed in a different way, whatever it might be, like the hero of it might be a piece of celeriac or something like you say, but it's got a texture and a flavour that you just have never had before in a, in a vegetable, that's more exciting than, than a really well-cooked piece of protein in, yeah. in, in, in some way because it's, it's a I new mean, dimension. It can kind of be easy to impress people with that as well. Like, yeah. every, <laughs> like if you, it's, it's like if you cook anything, um, just but people overcook vegetables and fuck vegetables all the time and just cook them in the most basic simple ways like boil or roast so if, if you do something to vegetables and you, you, you know, cook them precisely seasons well flavors work well like straight people will be like oh my god never had anything like that and it's quite hard to do that with meat because people have had meat so many different ways yeah so like it's, it's um like i always say the same thing with like chicken if you get good chicken and cook it well people like lose their shit people are just like oh my god it's so good because like, everyone fucks chicken Mm. Not yeah. literally and figuratively. Fuck <laughs> 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 vegetables. <laughs> um, how have you then, like when you when you were writing this first menu for Monster? Uh, I mean, you are a hotel restaurant, and you you probably have guests here that don't know that you've got a vegetarian only menu. Like the the appetites that you have to cater for are varied between people who come here specifically because it's a vegetarian menu to people who don't know it's a vegetarian menu to everything in between and people that are just here on business and want to have a meal. Yep. Um, it must be pretty tough considering all those those different things into writing that first menu. What have you sort of done? 100%. So originally, originally the idea was to go plant-based in the whole hotel group. Um, and then sort of the question got put up there is just like sort of jumping a little bit too far ahead like to bring to be able to bring the clientele in um, and then having that chance to use eggs butter cheese things like that was was I would say a God's gift on the first menu um, mm-hmm. definitely want to transition to more vegan options um, not that we don't have many at the moment but um, having those sort of richer dishes for the carnivores to eat um and to be satisfied at the end of the day um so we've had we've had a lot of guests feedback come in and they said yeah we're we're bona fide carnivores but we are so impressed by the menu we're coming back to eat the vegetarian menu and then we get some people come to the door who don't even want to take a chance Mm. at that kind of thing so we'll try to send out send out something as a snack just to be like oh look it's not it's not what you think it's not it's not too it's scary not, it's not some salad on a plate kind of thing so <laughs> so um it's definitely gonna it's definitely gonna impress and yeah we've had people come from sydney who say they didn't ex- didn't know it was vegetarian we're gonna make more chance to come down from sydney just to eat at monster kind of thing so hearing that sort of those reviews uh yeah it's it's good to see that it's getting received well mm. um here just need just need a little bit more tr- traffic I think so social and stuff like that mm. to bring people in once they have a ch- chance to eat it they'll come back again so menu at the moment is a little bit smaller um, just when I came here it was sort of just after COVID so I didn't have much of a team mm. um, at the beginning um, now we're nearly fully stocked in the kitchen so hoping to do a new menu by Christmas with more options and then implement a set menu for the restaurant because uh, we're only open three nights a week in this room um, but yeah, still the lobby needs to be enough choices for them kind of thing. So it's always going to develop, evolve. Um, the menus, obviously seasonal, everything like that. So trying to stay as local as possible. 
speak with the farmers and things mm. like that. Have you met any farmers around here yet? Uh, so I've speak, spoken to the mushroom farmers because yep. we're going through a lot of mushrooms on yeah. our menu. Um, Which ones out at Gouda Creek? Gouda Creek, yeah. Yeah, so Gouda Creek. Um, spoken to them about getting some wild mushrooms. Um, yeah, just because we're going through that much. Um, and then, yeah, I've, I've hit a few people up on social. I just need to get a bit of time off in my day to go um, <laughs> bit of time to, bloody to go out and do these kind of things, those sorts of things. couple of hours develop those relationships well you out. will find that uh, Canberra has a really really good abundance of great local producers and uh, have you been down to the epic markets yet on a Saturday I have yeah, yeah I have it's a good place to good place to hit up yeah I wanted to go pick everyone's brains but it was a little bit too busy I didn't think they want to talk to somebody who's not going to buy anything yeah <laughs> so um, oh, they want to talk to chefs uh, for sure just right. get there early before like the hordes arrive yeah I think epic. It's exhibition park in Canberra. It's an acronym. Um, yeah, I think great, it's closed. Yeah, I think it's closed at the moment. I saw a sign yesterday saying, it saying it's closed. I mean, maybe it's just driving access, but um, mm. but yeah, like Canberra, Canberra, like having grown up here in Canberra, and now living in Wollongong, Canberra has a, a farmers market culture better than probably any any town its size in 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 Australia. Like it's amazing. We've got exhibition park out there and then there's the south side farmers markets on sundays and a couple of other ones around town so it's yeah it's a good place to um meet producers i'm sure we yeah we also have a, we have a good relationship with uh pialago estate yep. so it's another just place down the road mm-hmm. um so i've spoken to their farmer down there once they get sort of everything up and track on track for their season um they might have some land for us to plant some stuff or if they've got excess wastage I'll just come send it to me, I'll preserve it and stuff like that, mm. give it back to them kind of thing. So there was there was plums last year, six hundred kilos of plums they gave to the kitchen. Amazing. And then three days later they had to compost it because the chefs were too busy to Fuck. do anything with it. Bum. So I heard that, I was just like, damn. Yeah. Um, do you th- do you think that there's a challenge, like as you were saying, you know, you're waiting for that traffic to build and it's only two weeks in. Um in, into this new menu and into the year of the veg, uh, do you think there's a challenge in being a part of a you know an international hotel group? Because I feel like in Australia, one thing that Australians are good at is recognizing small business, like and, and really like investing in the the people and 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 the inner workings of of, of privately owned businesses or Australian owned hospitality like hospitality groups is there a challenge being an international hotel group where people might think well that's an international hotel group like the the restaurants and the food can't be at at, at the level that we expect or 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 whatever it might be yeah it's it's a tricky one because Monster Kitchen is like it's the lobby as well like the bar it's got a good vibe so like it's amazing the space yeah before the before the menu change it was pretty much on a Monday to Saturday, the lobby was full. It yeah. was bumping. The bar was just full kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's now because we sort of changed it when the borders started opening. I'm not sure if people are sort of venturing out, but I've heard Canberra itself is a little bit quiet okay. at the moment. Um, so I'm not sure if that's affecting. Sort yeah. Of well, it's a pretty hard people. time to estimate. It's, whether, a, it's whether, a hard time like, to make is, judgments. Is this, is this busy for this time of year? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. What, what was it like last pandemic? Oh, fuck. We don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to make anything. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do a judgment. judgment yeah. Call so now. I mean, going forward is like, how, how do you staff? How do you, how do you work out how much produce you need in these uncertain times? I mean, it's, yeah. um, it's a challenge across the board yeah. um, for, for chefs and people you know, in charge of ordering and rostering and all these yeah. things. Mm. Cool. Um, just a bit more on the year of the veg and, and we'll start wrapping it up. But 
Tell us a bit about, you You were explaining a bit before that all the different um, exec chefs across all the different overload venues are sort of putting their own spin on how they're approaching the year of the veg and that sort of creative fr- freedom that you guys have. And you guys do sort of work together, like come together monthly and things like that? Yeah, so we'll have like a monthly meeting with all the general managers, execs and sort of um, directors and stuff like that, sort of to set the set the idea, set the game plan in motion for the next, say, two-month period, set timelines, um, menu changes across the board. So we'll all sort of have a cohesive flow between the sort of menus, um, just so one's not offering 30 dishes and one's offering 10. So, um, we'll, yeah, we'll try to have... Everyone's got their own sort of style. Um, Zaza Thai in Brisbane's got Middle Eastern, Mediterranean sort of vibe to it. Um, Willamaloo's plant-based, um, so sort of, yeah, fresh. Doing Already all. completely plant-based. Plant, they? they opened up as plant-based. Oh, right, so okay. Yeah, so they, they never was vegetarian. They would, they'd just been 100% um, plant-based over there. So seeing what they're doing up there with um, with Matthew Kenny from US, uh, so he's like the consultant. So the stuff that he's, all the recipes that he's like sending through to the guys, like their pastry and high tea over there is just out of this world. Like yeah, right. Their pastry chef is crazy um all the bread cultured butters like the vegan butters vegan cheeses um all that kind of stuff stuff is really cool um so yeah they're a little bit smaller than us um Willamaloo for the restaurant side but they have a big function function space up there and then um yeah so coming and then coming down to monster so that's the three like main ones we have a few more sort of smaller smaller properties but they're the three biggest and then monster is like it's been very Japanese based um, for the past few years um, and then yeah coming on board being sort of again don't like to say restricted but having to be Japanese and vegetarian was sort of a little bit limiting um, so we kind of went on the way of like new world sustainability like sort of seasonality farm produce driven um, that's sort of our concept here and then yeah so there'll be a little bit a little bit of flavors from around the world down at monster um, awesome exciting all right um probably if you've got any last things i've got one more que- like one more question really and then we'll and then we'll wrap it up so you got anything else um well i would sit and chat about testing recipes for hours but <laughs> it might not be the most interesting so thing to start talking about <laughs> yeah. brian percentages and stuff um <laughs> so you go steph yeah, well, like, I just want to talk about some of the dishes on the menu. Like, have you, have you sort of earmarked anything as a signature dish or something that you'd, you'd really want people to, to order when they come? Um, definitely, like, well, the sellers, the, the hit sellers right now, the karyagi, the mushroom karyagi, the churros, the cauliflower. What's the churros? Churros, the parmesan churros. So okay. It's a vegan parmesan we're getting from up near Byron. Uh, Nimbin, sorry. Yep. Um, so with the truff chili cheddar fondue. So truff Yum. is another US brand truffle hot sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, how's the uh, how's the parmesan working? Like I've used my girlfriend's vegan. I've used vegan cheese like on pits and stuff. Yeah. And like that just like melting point and texture. Yeah. That is like parmesan, some, isn't it? Yeah. Vegan it's not vegan. Parmesan. No, this is. Oh, is that real parmesan? Yeah. I thought no, this said. This one's the vegan parmesan. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, this yeah. one's vegan parmesan. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. Parmesan has animal rennet. Yeah. Inside. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, like, how's that cooking with products like that? It's like, how's that, like the reaction to it? Like, it's yeah, it's it's been again a little bit of testing and yeah. stuff like that to figure out the ratios and stuff like that to to bind the karagi 
the you nearly use the vegan egg. Yeah, the, the chickpea chickpea sort of blend. Okay, um, yeah. To help bind it, so when it heats, it stays together instead of disintegrating in the fryer. Mm. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the stuff like I've done with proteins, like the carrot, the carrot terrine used to do like mosaics of meat. Um, yeah, yeah. At geranium, and then trying to figure out how that can hold without any binding agents for service. Yeah, like heating it up, so I think so. It's a lot of a lot of trial and error mm. figuring that stuff out, but um. Definitely the ancient grains is a winner as well. That's super tasty. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah it looks amazing. It's four different grains cooked for a few hours and then just sort of added like a ragu, add some ancient grain oats to it and just sort of work it to get all that starchy creaminess out of it. Um, so yeah, like the vegan dishes are, are the ones that are sort of killers. Cheesecake. It's one I stole from Woolamaloo, their cheesecake recipe from their mm-hmm. pastry chef. Um, and then just did my sort of garnish to it. But yeah, just haven't haven't played around with many like the vegan recipes. Um, a few. But yeah, that's sort of my next next phase is mm. to get more more of the vegan options. Yeah, cool. Lots there. of exciting stuff coming up for the next year, for the year of the veg. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Christmas will be a banger. Yeah, nice. 12-course <laughs> geranium-style menu. Oh, really? Yeah, Is cool. that what it's going to be? Yeah, we're, 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 we're working on it, so just going to need to write a menu for it and then start doing the testings for the general managers to taste and then figure out how I can do 100 portions. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to mention before we finish? Um, no, I'm pretty good. Pretty good? Pretty good, awesome. pretty good, pretty happy. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Great to chat. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 